This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Paul. Hi, I'm David, that Burroughs guy. This Burroughs guy is here with us today to talk about Beyond 30 by Edgar Rice Burroughs, which came out originally in one issue of a magazine called All Around in 1916 uh, and wasn't republished until the 50s. Mm-hmm. And I can totally see why, because as <laughs> soon as this came out, like one year later, it was completely out of date, right? Yep. Yeah, but I think it's so. I think this book is really interesting uh, because it is uh, a peek into 1916's sort of uh, subconscious in the United States. I I think this is the United States subconscious in 1916. What do you guys think about that thesis? Absolutely, it's. Uh, yeah, I don't even think it's a novel. Really, it's an essay. Yeah. On it's really uh, an uh, it's a uh, it's a future history from the point of view of sitting in nineteen. He wrote it in nineteen fifteen, actually, mm-hmm. okay. and it's Edgar Rice Burroughs reading the dispatches from the Western Front and everybody raising their hands and saying, "Society, uh, civilization's going to hell. It's really all messed up. Uh, uh, it's a cataclysm. It's the end of of life as we know it." Uh, it really must have looked like that to people over in the U.S. at that time. Uh, in 1915, the war had broken out. It had hit stalemate all along the Western Front. Uh, this kind of mechanized war was something that people were still just trying to grapple with the enormity of what was going on and the size of the slaughter out there. So I can just see Burroughs sitting there writing, well, what's it going to be like in a couple of years? And what is this going to turn like? It, it's going to change history. And what's it going to be like in 200 years from now? because of all mm-hmm. this. So it's an interesting look at, uh, at how World War I was affecting everybody's consciousness. And here's a, a very creative uh, writer uh, say, spinning from today into, well, let's see what this is going to lead to in 200 years. Mm-hmm. I, what do you think, Paul? I, I, com- I completely agree. World War I was the war that was inevitable, but spiraled so out of control and went to such great, destroying of the fin de sickle 19th century European culture that I could see Burroughs looking and look at this fashion thinking it's because it's just going to go spiraling on and on until there's barbarism. There's lots of, there's lots of fiction that came out of the, those experiences of world war one, both from outside and the inside Tolkien, Tolkien's visions came out of being on the Western front. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm reminded of, not necessarily World War One War, which I'm I'm writing them novels like say Elrond Hubbard's final blackout, which was basically taking World War Two and thinking, okay, it's gonna go on forever until things fall to complete barbarism. There's also mm-hmm. don't groan, Jesse. There's I'm also remind, reminded of a Doctor Who episode. Genesis of the Daleks. Have you either you seen it? Uh, it's, yeah, which one? Is, which doctor is that? Fourth doctor. Okay. Um, uh, how how is that? Uh, so I I remember the first Daleks episode, uh, which is you know post apocalyptic uh, planet, right? Nuclear war, but this isn't this war isn't nuclear. I don't think. No, no, but it, it, gas, no, it, gas, and, no, and tanks no, and. Stuff. 
But in Genesis of the Daleks, we're, we we kind of wind up in the middle of the war, and at the and at this point, technology has gone backwards. Ah. So that, so so that the, the Doctor even notices that they've gone back from they've gone from nuclear war and and the high high weapons to much more primitive weapons, and he and his companions are a little confused by this by this because there's just there's lots of junk lying around that they can use, but in general things have just gone back to complete barbarism and small units mm. fighting each other. And it's a it's a hellish landscape that's, if anything, even worse than what uh, our hero has to deal with in this novel. But it's that whole sort of collapse of warfare into small little small little conflicts and the Great War and why it even started kind of lost lost just like it is in this book. It, yeah. it, this is I, I I drifted away from the plot. Uh, it's which is very easy to do because there's a, there isn't thinking, much of it. <laughs> it's so simple. I mean, I, I, whenever I drifted away, I came immediately back and I I didn't get lost at all. No, I, and it's I, I found this a very relaxing book to yeah, <laughs> listen oh, yeah. to. Honestly, it was it was just like because he's sort of meditating on this feeling of, you know, should we get into the war or not? Yeah. And, you know, obviously the, the main thrust is absolutely not. Right. Right. Um, because look what happened. Like I was thinking, okay, if what is, what is Burroughs is, uh, you know, conclusion about, you know, whether the United States should join world war one. And, I think it's obviously absolutely not, right? He's isolationist. Mm-hmm. He's put up mm-hmm. these barriers between 30 degrees west and 175 degrees west. Nobody shall go up- across these, right? Right, right. Gets, and yeah. that's and that's, uh, and we we the, well the 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 North American continent is still civilized because they didn't get drawn uh, into it. Uh, oh, right. and they're not. They're even better than civilized. They're boringly peaceful, right? He, oh yes, yes, excruciating. He, he, excruciatingly peaceful and get this it's a utopia a, an american a libertarian utopia because even the military doesn't cost people any money anymore right the <laughs> navy isn't just the navy they don't you know they're not a burden on the taxpayers anymore because they're delivering the mail that's right <laughs> <laughs> and they're firing their cannons uh not at each other but you know just for practice because, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Know, 200 like, years of practice you got to do it yeah yeah and they, they they've gotten very soft <laughs> and very effete and uh that that's a that's a big theme with burroughs too is the uh the totally uh, uh the 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 corrupting influence of civilization and too much comfort but here we are in in north america and we're very comfortable and uh the europeans well, it's not north america it's it's north and south, and south america. america right it's all yeah, the, so yeah yeah um and then the Europeans have blown themselves back literally to the Stone Age with all their That's weapons. So, at least in Europe, or as you go farther east across Asia, we discover, of course, that there are some uh, higher technologies still in existence <laughs> over and, there. And to the south, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and, that, and to Germany, right? Mm-hmm. This is the, I can almost see the argument like this is at a dinner party, Edgar Rice Burroughs is like sitting around the table arguing with a bunch of other people about what what america should do after the lusitania gets sunk or something and some people let's go in there sort this out right and then other guys are like no 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 no." and then burroughs he says well on the one hand (laughs) right on the one hand if we cut off you know if we you know cut our losses uh with the philippines right which which was i mean it we don't think about it much today but it was 
it was a horror horror fest over there, right? They did right. much better in Cuba. Um, but it, it was that was American expansion colonialism at really horrific sort of cost, not just to uh, you know, American coffers, but to the 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 Philippines were not happy with the United States taking over where Spain left off. Right. Yeah, they right. they traded one for the other, and yeah, the, the, so the, that he makes a he, he makes a point uh, in this book to talk uh, quite a bit about the Philippines to say you know oh the Chinese they they took over mm-hmm. you know they they sorted it out it happened in this treaty and you know uh, so 175 to the west includes Hawaii right. Right. But it doesn't really include anything uh, else of major significance. And to the to the uh, to the east, but really it's 30 degrees west is right down the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Right. So it doesn't include anything uh, uh, past Greenland. Yeah, I think he so cuts off a bit of Greenland. He is absolutely saying the west. Yeah, it's the western hemisphere only. This is our domain. This is this is really interesting because this is paralleling American, you know, uh, the one the Monroe, pattern of the Monroe yeah. Doctrine. Yeah, the Monroe Doctrine, mm-hmm. which is you know, mm-hmm. it, it's like you know, this is our domain. Right. You know, you guys in Europe, you do your thing, and that sort of keeps up until America joins World War Two, right? Right. And they, what year? What year did we actually enter the war? We were still, even though that we'd had the Lusitania in 1915. It's yeah, it's yeah, in 1915, yeah. Wilson was still really not yeah. ready to push us into war. Um, nor was the American public ready to go there in 1915. It was still very much their war, not yep. not something that involved us. And, you know, the Zimmerman telegram and a bunch of sort of things that, you know, will push people over. This totally like this is what's so interesting about the book is it it is a moment of the American psyche captured in time. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was thinking about, uh, you know, the, I was reading I, I, I read a lot of these pulps from this era, like 19. 19- 13 to 1921 era but actually even earlier some of it and what what i see over and over again is like uh, this push pull of we're isolationists let's just keep to ourselves and then there's this well but the the chinese are making great strides i don't know about their navy and the japanese (laughs) well they they they, in one one of the pulps i read this week it uh it was you know just a mainstream uh magazine but uh not even fiction and it was talking about how the japanese are the the british of of uh, asia right because oh, yeah they're yeah building their navy up well they were very powerful when was the sino-russian war how that was before all of this and the and the, the, the Jap- yeah the <laughs> japanese had kicked russia's butt totally yeah so uh japan was uh as far as we knew they were the britain of the uh, orient absolutely and and that struggle like for you know don't think about it much but you know there is a story to uh pearl harbor before pearl harbor right of course the united states took hawaii because the japanese might take it it's like they japanese are saying you know what we should take that because the british are sort of waffling on it and the americans are like you know, it's just sitting there. It has a gray harbor. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I mean, we're having these problems with Spain. And then in 
you know, the uh, the actual war with Spain that makes the United States sort of become that, you know, international empire rather than just, you know, North and South America mm-hmm. push mm-hmm. is uh, is uh, is prompted just by such incidents as the Lusitania later. So uh, in the main, which is a, a cruiser, is parked off of um, Cuba mm-hmm. after, you know, the Cubans are having a rebellion and it explodes. And so the yellow journalism, uh, Hearst newspapers, and I think it's Hearst. It was yep, Hearst, one of those. right? Yeah. Well, he he's like, it's uh, the Spain. Don't uh, always remember the main. Remember and screw the main. Spain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Screw yep. Spain and remember the main, and that causes them to the United States to just. There's so much pressure brought to bear that people think that 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 Spain sabotaged the ship and that it sunk and exploded and all those guys died on it because of something the Spanish did. But there's no evidence to support that. Even today, there's no evidence to support that. But if you go and put your ships right beside, uh, you know, uh, uh, enemy territory and then they have bad things happen to them, it's a recipe for joining wars. Oh, sure. Right? It's got to be enemy action. You know, it, nothing can go wrong on our side. We're perfect. Well, yeah. And, and so you can see why the, uh, it's, it's, it, the premise of this book is kind of crazy that they're going to put up a 200 year barrier to travel over a certain distance. It's kind of crazy. But on the other hand, it really captures what is going on. Mm-hmm. If we're going to be isolationist, we just don't go there. Yeah, it's just forbidden. It just is. It's it's yeah. crime think. It's crime think yeah. to do that. It, it it it's it's not all that implausible. I mean, we've we've seen this throughout history, especially with ironically the uh, the Chinese, where for we had we had a the Chinese in the uh, in, during the Ming Dynasty had a expansionist outward looking uh, outlook for a while. And internationals, they had Zheng Ho's treasure ships go as far as the coast of Africa. Absolutely. And then, and then, thanks to court politics and him falling out of favor and him dying, China became extremely isolationist and it was forbidden to leave China. You couldn't, <laughs> so that was against, that was against Chinese law. No, you don't leave China. You stay here because we're in the middle of the kingdom, we're civilization. You don't go out to the barbarian lands. That's against the law. So, the idea of the United States Saying no, you can't leave uh, the North South America. That's not unprecedented. It's not as implausible as it feels, right? right. It, it feels very implausible to us. But uh, as you say, Paul, you know, um, the same thing happened to Korea. Yeah. What happens is Japan and China are fighting all the time, and they're fighting over Korea because Korea is between them, right? And China sees. Uh, it as a landing spot for Japanese invasion and the Japanese see Korea as a dagger stabbed at the heart of Japan. Right. Yeah, <laughs> they, right yeah. So, so Korea's policy becomes, we're not involved with anything. In fact, we're going to call ourselves the hermit kingdom, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. We're going to seal our borders. We're not even going to deal with the Chinese or the Japanese. The only one, one or two ports. This is something China does as well. One or two ports will have any trade at all. Right. No one. We're going to be completely cut off. Then Admiral Perry comes in, says, hey, we're going to trade with you. Like Koreans <laughs> are, oh, no, 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 no. We're, we're, we're cut off. Right. And he steams into port. No, we're going to trade with you. You're going to trade with us. It steams up the Han River. 
<laughs> it <laughs> fires off a few shots to make the point known that mm-hmm. they're deaf. The thing is, is you can't, can you really expect this to work as a forever strategy? I don't think you can, because what happens now is China today is all over the world, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And they had to be because what's the consequence of cutting themselves off is, oh, yeah, the Japanese come invade us and our technology, uh, you know, little bits of us gets eaten up by England. Right. Uh, and Germany, Germany had a little piece of China. So you can see why this is like uh, it's a strategy, but it can't last. And that is also the book's premise. Right. right. Well, that's right at the beginning. From he a, says, I'm telling you what happened. Yeah, from a hundred years ago, we the notion of a global village was still very utopia. Uh, probably not many people were even thinking of the notion of the global village. A hundred years ago, mm-hmm. it was a very provincial world. And, uh, well, even uh, remnants as of today to show even that provinciality, look at our, uh, tra- our, uh, travel, our travel restrictions until very recently on Cuba. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, the, the notion that we can we can seal yes, off a certain part of the world that is just verboten. You don't go there. So uh, uh, that's probably just a lingering crumb of that of that isolationist mentality was the travel ban okay. on Cuba. That's very interesting, and it's it's exactly the sort of thing that's going on too, right? Because other other places could go there. They don't think of it as a taboo in the same way, and and taboos end exactly. Um, uh, so I think we we've sufficiently bought into the premise of this book pretty well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then once he gets to Europe, um, I was pretty surprised by <laughs> what we see over there. Tigers have taken tigers over. Tigers finally. <laughs> Well, tigers Burroughs, and lions. Burroughs and tigers is, is really funny. He loved uh, obviously hilarious. he loved the animals. When he originally wrote Tarzan in Africa, uh, uh, he originally put tigers in Africa. And later, <laughs> someone told, "Hey, hey, Ed, no, tigers are not endemic to Africa." So uh, the uh, the Pulp Fiction story actually had tigers in Africa, and by the time he put it in the hardback, it had changed to uh, Simba the lioness. Uh, most oh, of the other species, the male female has the same name but uh, there's uh, Numa the lion is a male lion Simba was originally the tiger but for the books he had to make Simba the uh, female oh. lion who lives in Africa and then later uh, uh, Tarzan would encounter uh, tigers in Asia finally when Ed discovered oh, okay tigers can only be in Asia but it's interesting that tigers are the first uh, mammal that shows up uh, in uh, in uh, Great Britain, and this is probably before someone told him, Ed, there's no tigers in uh, Africa. But uh, his, his 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 explanation. Apparently, tons of tigers in London. Right, I mean, right. Well, they escaped. What the heck? And, yeah, they and escaped lions. from the zoo. They escaped and from elephants? the zoos and elephants <laughs> and heffalumps. Yeah, it is. It is like he he's gone to another planet, um, written some science fiction about Earth, and he's sort of done a mashup because Africa. You know, Africa and uh, Europe aren't that far apart. Right. Uh, right. It's like it, it is. This is the African veldt, right? That is yeah. England. It's hilarious. It, it's uh-huh. it, it, it's taking England and Europe and basically using it as the setting for a planetary romance. I mean, it's not. It is. I, I was thinking, is this the? I don't know of. Uh, David, you you must know this. Is this the only one set in the future? Aren't. aren't no, actually, uh, beyond the farthest star, 
Ah. Pelota one, which was uh, uh, never got beyond just the first one, but I believe Pelota is set in uh, in a uh, once upon a time uh, in uh, light years after that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I pulled Because all the I other think, ones, Castback is is in our present, right? Yeah, present time, Castback, uh, Tarzan and, is all contemporary, uh, and Ber- uh, Mars, Venus uh, are all yeah. contemporary. Yeah. Um, Pelota, I believe, goes to the future. Beyond 30 goes to the future. I'm trying to think what else, uh, but nothing comes to mind now. It, it, he didn't seem... so. Uh, I was like thinking about the technology in this story and basically the only technology that is uh not something we have is the is the gravity shield, right? Which right. is and the airships. The like, yeah, uh, the, they've well, got the, yeah. these gravity shielded airships that can either go in the sky or underwater, but they can't go on the surface of the water. <laughs> yeah, that that kind of confused me. Like wait, wait, what? So they fly or they submarines but they can't actually but you, but to actually go on the surface of water, you need a dinghy. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I, 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 I found the narrator. What's the word I'm looking for? Extremely naive. And, <laughs> and how he winds up getting uh, stranded. He's young. Yeah, he's stranded. He's like, young. okay, you know, you know, this engineer, however brilliant he is, doesn't like you, so you're going to go off fishing. Why not delegate <laughs> it, you idiot? So, so when the ship goes flying away, like, yeah, that's. A, Anyone could see that coming, you idiot. You left your shit. <laughs> I think that there's a sequel that wasn't written because there's a lot of loose threads hanging Tons, loose. tons. And the final um, the final chapter uh, is just like uh, the whole kitchen sink. Uh, we spend most of oh, the book, uh, well, we spend a lot of the book getting to, uh, to, to the uh, ex-UK. We spend a couple of chapters in the UK. Then we go over to the continent. To, to Europe and spend a Germany, couple of chapters, yeah. and then in just one chapter we get captured and we get uh, hauled uh, across Germany over to Moscow, over to the uh, the Mongol Empire, and then back home all in one chapter. So it's just mm-hmm. like uh, I uh, wanted more of that last chapter. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I enjoyed him being a slave quite a bit. I thought that that was a really fun and interesting sort of. Burroughs is his subconscious is all over the page right like yeah thinking about how uh you know the he talks he talks to the 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 colonel about about how blacks are treated in in uh the pan america uh-huh. and it it was like they are uh they're not slaves but they are lower class oh yeah they're not treated oh, as yeah. well oh yeah which is Sort of, you know, it's 1916 America. Right, yeah. right. I mean, Civil War, uh, that war is still in living memory in the, in the, in the society at large. Uh, mm-hmm. Burroughs was born. I'm sure Bur- Bur- uh, uh, I think his parents would have been alive during that war. But uh, it was still, it was still, well, he's as close to the Civil War as we are to World War II. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's still in living memory. Well, so and, those were... And- Birth of a Nation is 1915. Did That's Bur- right. So, That's so right. Burroughs must have seen it. But it's not, you know, this is not, uh, it's, you know, in that Tarzan, uh, Tarzan and the Apes, he's, Tarzan's link, lynching black people in Africa, right? Um, not because they're, uh, you know, he's just generally racist, just because they, they're bad people or something. Right. Well, but they're the only humans there that he comes across. <laughs> yeah. 
but here I think he's a lot more nuanced. Uh, like so, he oh, he yeah. does have some of the racism that you expect, but he isn't like all these blacks are inferior. In fact, I think kind of the point he's 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 making is look you europeans this is what's going to happen to you if you continue with this war this is true yeah the the blacks have taken over essentially uh europe they're and, the, the uh, romans essentially right yep. they're up in the exact same territory the romans are they've got yes encampments. yes and I, I think they came up through yep. africa across the mediterranean and then over in asia uh, yep. uh the asians have taken over asia instead of uh, yep. caucasians being in control over there so all these the yellow peril and the black menace have already taken over this evil side of the planet but how interesting that they have gone beyond barbarism and that the whites are are, are living in the stone age over there yep and and the whites are being colonized and treated you know they're being enslaved all the white women he's worried about being sent off to the uh the evil emperor's uh, harem yeah yeah <laughs> that 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 seemed a little truncated as well um but i i i quite like victoria what do you or, or not sorry victory victory, victory. What, did yes. you, what did you think of victory she was sort of the classic uh heroine from Every Edgar Rice Burroughs. Oh, she's got more. Novel, she's right? got she's got a little more spunk than some of them. She's certainly got spunkier than Jane. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And she's uh, actually seems to even have a little bit more spunk than Deja Thoris, she, as, she, as she, Burroughs wrote him. She she reminds me of She reminds me of the movie version of Deja Thoris. Uh, have you yeah, seen? Have you, have, you, have you have you seen the movie? I assume you have. Oh yeah, yeah sad great. to say well, I did see it, but uh, oh, I quite liked it. Hmm. What do you think, David? The more I watch it, the more I can't watch it. When it originally there are came, lots of problems. When it came out in 2012, I so wanted it to succeed. So I remember after it was over, just say, "Yeah, it was okay. Yeah, it was okay." I I, I popped the Blu-ray into my player a, a couple of months ago and said, "Well, let's take a look at it now." And for me, it does not wear well. Uh, I couldn't get past the Tharks. They looked like mm -hmm. uh, they looked like praying mantises, and they didn't look. <laughs> uh, they did not look. Uh, formidable at all it looked like a whole bunch of praying mantises john carter looked like a flea jumping around uh, yeah. and uh, i i just said you know after two more years i did want it to succeed but now i see why it didn't um for people not familiar with the books and i understand it did create a number of new fans for the material so someone who didn't have any expectations or any previous experience would probably have a better experience than i did but uh, I can't watch it anymore. I, I, it's like the it Ralph. Could be a Ula movie, though. I mean, based on how Ula, Ula was Ula. fun. Ula was fun. But to me, you it's, could have it's like just a whole Ula sequel. Yeah. No John Carter. No yeah, Deja Ula. Yeah, maybe Ula. like uh, maybe kind of like a Minion, a Minion movie. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, how those uh, Disney movies they just spin off the the Stitch from Lilo and Stitch or whatever. Yeah, yeah, you could do that. You could do that. To me, it is exactly in the same place as the Ralph Bakshi attempt at the Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. It was before its time. It was a good try, but uh, no no cigar. Well, mm -hmm. the, the, that got, that movie actually, now we're real on a sidebar, got me to actually read The Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings because the, 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 the Bakshi, the Bakshi uh, Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and the Return King, all three of those are going to be played on in a mar movie marathon a week, a weekend ahead of where I was. And I was like 
11 or 12 at the time. And my brother says, well, you should read the books first. And I thought, well, okay, I read the books first. So in about a week, I read The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. What? Wow. So, yeah, so I just like dived in and plowed through those so I could understand. And then when I saw some of the stuff, it's like, wait, that's not in the book. Wait, wait. Yeah. Ah! Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think this one's ever going to be a movie. Uh, nah. Beyond Bird. Oh. nah, but I think it'd make a pretty good comic book. Um, there's all it. It has a. I mean, I think the it could be very much expanded in the in the. It seems very rushed in the end. Very and mm-hmm. and I enjoyed the sort of leisurely pace it was going at, and I really enjoyed him being a slave because of you know, sort of being humiliated and yet also he was. He's like pointing out how admirable a lot of the African armies were, the Abyssinians, right? The mm-hmm. the literacy, the sort of the casualness of being a soldier. I think he was drawing on his own, you know, uh, experience. Uh, even our hero is from Arizona, just like him, right? Right, right. <laughs> um, so it it feels like. It feels like a, a a fun book, and and so I liked all the interaction. Be, I, I assume like that there was going to be a sequel, and it was going to deal with, you know, going. I was thinking, well, beyond one seventy five, right? Right. Well, they have to go and see that eastern part a little better than they did. Cause well, but it sounds nothing, like they're going back. They're going back to call recolonize England for. For white people, that's the person I got at the end of this book. We're gonna what? Yeah, well, well, let's let's look at the text. Okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, da, 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 da. So, and now we are going back, Victory and I, with the men and the munitions and the power to, to reclaim England for her queen again. I shall cross thirty, but under what altered yeah. conditions? A new epoch for Europe is inaugurated with enlightened China on the east and enlightened Pan America on the west. The two great peace powers whom God has preserved to regenerate chastened and forgiven Europe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for, well, yeah. well, well, England has been taken over by renegade barbarians. Uh, the, uh, right. the, the blacks haven't crossed the channel yet, so they're going to go back to England and, and get victories thrown back from the, uh, the, uh, the Stone Age brute who took it from her. I can't remember the guy's hmm. name, oh. but they're, oh. they're going back and get victories thrown Buckingham. for her. Buckingham. Buckingham, Buckingham, right. Yeah. Buckingham, right. Buckingham, the brute. So they're going to yeah. go back and, and uh, get the pretender off the throne and put her back on the throne. And then from England, they'll probably launch. It's a rather hopeful novel, considering how low he, he, he you know, they don't even have mothers. Uh, they don't even have fathers anymore in England, right? Right. Yep. The right. family unit has broken down. They, they don't even know uh, that there is a Europe. They don't know... In 200 years, these people have devolved. <laughs> you know, they lost it. almost all their culture. They barely have uh, uh, the Queen's English left, right? Right, right. It, yep. It's it, the, the 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 sunken depths to which Europe has destroyed itself. Right. Right. Um, are, it may as well it, have it, been. It may as well have been nuked. I mean, that's exactly what Burroughs is envisioning, like as if they had that kind of power to totally devastate yeah. the entire oh. country. And and we get that uh, quite interesting. I, I mean, I think he's he's really putting the 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 weight on. You know, stay out of this mess. It's yep. just nightmare. Europe is yeah doomed because we get that letter written by the what, the foreign minister. No. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. 
some admiral of the navy or whatever he's 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 died at his desk waiting for the queen to return um writing <laughs> writing a letter and uh, meanwhile outside in the house of parliament you know there's a there's uh, tigers and lions sitting on the throne right right there, there's some sort of weird cool symbolism he's doing there that and he's not really a symbolism guy, right? This not is really, fair. not really. But uh, well, he's a, he's really a Roddenberry guy. He realized oh, right. if he, Roddenberry realized in the '60s, if you tell stories on TV about yeah. the blacks against the whites, they're going to lynch you. Yeah. But if you put it in space and it's the blacks against the white, you can go anywhere. And he oh. once once you take once you take the races out of contemporary context. Yes. Uh, you can say anything you want to. I mean, we got the blacks right. here, and we got the yellows here, and we got the whites here, and and it's an you know you you can do pretty much what you wish with them. Well, that reminds me of something. Thank thank you for bringing up Roddenberry, David. Um, have either of you ever seen those two Roddenberry movie slash pilots from the seventies? Mm, no, no, I heard about them. No. Planet Earth, and um, I forgot what the name of the other one. Was. They rebooted those, didn't they? They, they, they rebooted them a couple times, but. But okay, but basically the premise. Andromeda was one of them, I think. And oh, no, no, because he's well set on Earth, and basically oh, okay. you had a modern man. He winds up getting frozen for a couple hundred years. He comes out to find that civilization has mostly collapsed. The world is kind of barbarous. You have pockets of civilization, and this this local high civilization, the Pax, has found him, and they're trying to basically reestablish civilization on Earth and. They go off to have adventures across across the United States and imply they can go across the world because of this underground train system. But you have barbarism. You have he he talks about race relations, women relation relations mm. with women, also also all sorts of things in these couple of TV movies. They basically tried to do Star Trek on post apocalyptic Earth. Mm-hmm. It does ah, sound good. Interesting. It, 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 I, I I own them on DVD. You can get them from uh, Warner Brothers these days. Because I remember hmm. seeing one long, long ago on TV. It's like, well, that was interesting. And then they came on DVD like, okay, I, I will watch this. And they're not perfect. I, I mean, he need he needs a he need a better lead actor in both cases. But yeah, it, it that that sort of Earth gone back to the wild. And Roddenberry even lingers on talks of. And so that the Earth having regenerated itself, and we see nice natural shots of natural scenery. Mm-hmm. So, it's, so this it's a Planet of the Apes sort of thing, right? Right. It, right. Yeah. We, we we see that you know that yeah the the thing is is ultimately the Earth no matter what we do to it the Earth's going to be fine. It's it's been fine through every you know cataclysm that's happened. It's just whether we're here or not is exactly is a real question. The I I think though that there there's this other phenomenon right at the, i went back and listened to the uh opening uh podcast chapter and i noticed that he really sort of laments the lack of war our hero says you know back in the old days oh the people were men were men, men and, and women yeah and women were nervous and... at night and be worried that a foot pad was gonna attack you that was so great yeah wouldn't it Great if we had that again. Oh, jeez. Well, again, we're de- you know the, the the remember Teddy Roosevelt speaks awfully <laughs> and carry a big stick and bully and manly men and uh, a good man knows how to bikes and that's that it. sort of yeah manly uh, escapades and and you know chivalry and all that that 
that good stuff. But he also, you know, it's a push pull because he 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 likes he likes the idea that there's a pan American peace that's been capped for two hundred years. But on the other hand, um, we all we can do is like you know do target practice now. Yeah, I'm so damn so bored. Boring. Every life, you know, it's uh, well, God, what I'm trying to think oh. in can. Candide, where uh, they finally find El Dorado, and uh, uh, it just bores the bejeebers out of them, and they have to get out because it's you so do that boring book. there. You do that book, David. I'd love to hear your version of Candide. Oh my God, yeah, that's not a bad idea. That's it's a, a bad it's a idea. hilarious book. Oh God, yeah. You, you could yeah. become that Voltaire guy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, so, so so that that kind of might, makes me think. Okay, so Panem. So Pan America is now civilized. Everything is peace. You could think of that almost in terms of manifest destiny and the American Wild West. The entire, all of America, the frontier is closed. Now, in yeah. some ways, Europe is the new frontier because yeah. because it's barbarism. And sure. It's the law, the law of the law of the sword and fist, and there are wild animals. And mm. yeah, that's that's where that's where the excitement and adventure lies over the sea. Right, where, where, where civilization the wild, began. He's the new Columbus as well as one right. of the things yeah. he yeah. says, right? Yeah, right. And yeah, there's no interesting animals in 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 the Americas. They're only in books. He's never seen them. And right. Yeah, so. it makes you wonder what happens to the Amazon. Did the Amazon <laughs> get all cut down? Well, the, I I have a feeling you know if we were going to do a sort of a detailed examination of Pan America or Pan Am as he calls it, I think that the history wouldn't be quite as peaceful because one of the things he says is that everyone in Pan America speaks Pan Am, which is also known as English. Yes. Right? Um, how did the, how did all of South America suddenly get converted <laughs> to English? Hmm. Even in two, I mean, it's very hard to change people's language is in, you know, a, you know, their primary language in, in that short a period of time. I, well, the 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 cultural memory loss that happens in Europe and the uh, language gain in in yeah. South America is kind of uh, suspicious. So uh, I would say, you know, I mean, but the thing is, is he, there there are, this isn't like he didn't. It, we don't have a case where all of the Mexicans were killed because some of the names on that on that crew and other generals and admirals he mentions you know they're they're hispanic names mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so it's not it's not um he's not done a genocide down there no. and just covered up no and no them. no he <laughs> saw some kind of homogenization it just happened awfully quick yeah mm -hmm. yeah i, I I'm, I'm i'm reminded of there i go with tandas again jesse knows um have either you read elsprague the camps viagens interplanetaria series mm -mm. that's a series where 20th, late 20th century, there's a world war. Civilization collapses except for Brazil. Brazil basically helps rebuild, builds, rebuild the world. And while well, anybody who's civilized speaks Portuguese, you can speak English or Dutch mm -hmm. or anything else. But if you're civilized, and especially if you want to go to space, you speak, you speak Brazilian Portuguese. So mm -hmm. I, I got maybe that's the case of Pan America. Like, okay, yep, they still speak Spanish and Portuguese and other things down there, but if you're civilized, you speak English. Well, uh, yeah, that uh, you know, the French used to be the language of international, of, uh, yeah, diplomacy, yeah. 
Right. So it makes sense. And uh, I think, uh, Paul, are you reading that new um, uh, novel by Kim Stanley Robinson? Not yet. It's, a, it's, a, it's on my Kindle, Aurora. I think I heard somebody talking about it and saying that uh, on in the future spaceship that they're on, they speak a uh, what they speak on the International Space Station, which is a mix of English and Russian. Right, because you know the Russians provide the ride, and they, they, you know, they're compl- you have to depend on it. So it can't just be exclusively English. It kind of reminds me of Firefly, where people switch between English and Persian yeah. and Chinese. Yeah, mm. I like that sort of hidden history. Although I'm not sure what the timeline is for Firefly, but it, it, uh, it's it's hundred. It's got to be hundreds of years in the future. So yeah, but I think if you if you think of some sort of constriction, um, you know. All these people suddenly cut off um, from, you know, the, the the Europeans are aren't completely cut off. It's the it's the British that are completely cut off. So the fact that you know tigers and lions have taken up the landscape, and apparently elephants can live in the cold, clammy climate <laughs> of I, England. Had some fun. had some global warming happen over yeah, there. Yeah, that, that's my headcanon. That that in in the last two hundred years of this world, we've had global warming and so england is now warm enough to support support fauna that shouldn't like lions and tigers and elephants oh my yeah and antelopes right there's antelopes all over europe for them to shoot yeah yeah it it is so hilarious that this is it it is it's just africa transported you know uh, a couple of hundred kilometers north (laughs) yeah basically a thousand kilometers yeah yeah so yeah i i really enjoyed uh, it's a very relaxing book. Um, it feels like, uh, you know, I, I enjoy Burroughs like a vacation because I read, you know, some heavy stuff and then mm. I'll read some, uh, heavily laden symbolism stories with, you know, horrible characters. And these guys, they're just relaxing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's not a lot of depth there. Uh, there's yeah. not a lot, very little symbolism. Uh, it's, it's what it is. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's all on comic the surface. Book. It's pulp. It tells you what it is. It's it's fun. Yeah, I really, I I find it very relaxing and enjoyable. And uh, you know, I before we started doing these, David, uh, I'd never read any Burroughs. I'd heard of you know Tarzan. I'd seen a probably the Legend of Greystoke movie, which I think is pretty great. And we probably talked about that when we did uh, Apes, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. Tarzan of the Apes. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm kind of getting sad that you're running out. I am, too. I yeah. am, too. Uh, uh, I'm actually tr- uh, speaking with the estate. I'm trying to find a way to uh, work with them to start doing audiobooks of everything that's from 1924 and after. And I can't say much more beyond that, but I am leaving no turn unstoned, as they say. <laughs> I'm, I would very much like to uh, continue. But, what percentage of the estate have uh, is in the public domain? So how much more? I'm, would th- very roughly, I'm guessing there's about 20 books in the public domain. There's mm-hmm. about 60 that are oh, not. Cow. There's a huge stockpile of stuff. Apparently. Uh, I mean, yeah. Well, just imagine what he, you know, from 19, he started his career in 1912 and wrote uh, 
pretty much he wrote uh, his first three. He wrote Princess of Mars. He wrote Law of Torn. He wrote Tarzan of the Apes. And all three of those were just, man, those are really well-written, good pieces of work. Mm -hmm. As he later got more prolific and it became a business, uh, you could see the, 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 the gears working in a lot of these. And uh, uh, a lot of them just became very formulaic. But nevertheless, what he was able to do from 1912 until 1923, which is the U.S. cutoff for public domain, that's about 20 books. There were some of the realistic ones, the social relevant ones that uh, I, I don't count, but like the efficiency expert. Uh, the girl uh, from Hollywood. Uh, the yeah. girl from Hollywood. The mucker. Those are all very good and very interesting takes uh, uh, on on the social uh, mores You're of the, the day. Fantastic worlds of Edgar Rice Burroughs, right? right? You're not right. Mine, my, my, mine, mundane worlds of <laughs> yeah. Mine, yeah, mine is right. not the everyday mundane worlds of uh, mm. Edgar Rice, but even even his realistic stuff is still pulp. I mean, it's uh, manly men beating their way across the slums of uh, uh, Chicago or wherever. But nevertheless, from 1912 to 1923, there's about 20 good, solid, fantastic books. But he wrote from 1923 until his death in 1949, and he got yeah. and he did not slow down his output. If anything, he increased it. So I counted roughly. There's about 60 books not in the public domain of this guy. Oh. So there's a lot of material to tap. We haven't even begun. Well, what would you? Which which? If you had your choice to pick one of those, because uh, I'm not that familiar with Burroughs, other than you know the sort of the things that we've done yeah. the sent the earth mm -hmm. the uh, mm -hmm. um the martian oh, was uh burrow barsoom 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 right uh i've heard of cast back i don't think uh, did we do a cast i think back? we did oh. land the uh, did we do land, land the time forgot yeah i'm pretty sure yeah, we, we did, did that yeah, yeah. oh that is cast the center of the earth. yeah what's the what's the venus one venus that yeah that one is entirely under copyright oh and that that's is Okay. That one I would love to get my hands on. That actually, when I was a kid, that was my favorite series. I even liked that better than Barsoom. That's Amtor. And that's Carson Napier, who was the Captain Wrongway Peter Peachfuzz of outer space. He built himself <laughs> he built himself a rocket ship and he was trying to get over to that Barsoom. He was trying to get to Barsoom. Now he did a little bit of a cross uh uh, cross, uh, yeah. He went west instead of Yeah, east. he decided he was going to go to Barsoom, but he didn't calculate for the movement of the planets. So oh, instead of going to Barsoom, he wound up on Venus, which was a whole different world over there. And I very much liked it. I very yeah, much liked that good. series. There's about five of those. those. Uh, so is Venus much more of a jungly planet? Yes, it's uh, covered in mist and shrouded, and uh, there's it's the Africa, not the Arizona. Yeah, it's, it's more oh. a tropical rainforest <laughs> instead okay. of a desert. Um, so here I go sidebar again. Um, S. M. Sterling wrote a pair of novels um, mm -hmm. set in a, set in the world where Mars is kind of like the Mars of Burroughs, and Venus is kind of like the Venus of Burroughs. I've, I've never read the actual Venus Venus uh, Burroughs novel, so I was curious how much he was actually borrowing from Burroughs, but basically aliens a hundred million years ago started terraforming Mars and Venus and started taking things from Earth. So in the present day, Venus looks like a jungly planet with dinosaurs and cave people and Mars is deserty and has weird race, weird human-like races and fallen, quasi fallen civilizations. It's a, it's a, so, it's a really good pair yeah. of novels, but yeah, that, yeah, that's, that's pretty close to what, 
uh, what Burroughs was writing about. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, there was definitely civilization on Venus. Definitely, there were dinosaurs and monsters and uh-huh. red striped red striped tigers and uh, yeah. I, I remember there are bird people like in Flash Gordon, the hawk people. There are there are <laughs> bird people that can fly with the, with bird heads. Um, <laughs> and of course, uh, uh, no, there's definitely there, uh, is there a beautiful princess of for him? Course, of there's the princess of Huare who he loves, and I think that uh, he's beneath her, as I recall. It's been a while. Since since I've read them, is is there is there a Burroughs novel with no beautiful princess? That's yeah. my question. Because mm. Jane, I guess, is not a princess technically. Well, she, but... no, she was a southern lady, a southern belle from Maryland. Oh, yeah. So she was well uh, of high of high does, social. It, it's his thing, right? He he just loves this romance thing. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I'm trying to think if uh, he wrote something that didn't have it, and I'm wow, I'd have to really rack the my one brains. Year... The one you're doing now, the you're finishing off Outlaw of Torn. Mm-hmm. Um, that is got a princess. Uh, it, well, it has uh, a countess, a baroness, uh, okay. uh, who is about to be married off to the king of France. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, technically, there's she's Bertrade de Montfort. Yeah, yeah Bertrade de Montfort. Uh, uh, we're talking about this is during the reign of Henry the Third, so uh, uh, we're in England, but the language of civilization over is French. So it's like uh, his take on the Musketeers or something like yeah, that. Yeah, early Musketeers, even prior Musketeers. Uh, Musketeers. Uh, uh, no, we're we're in Henry the uh, Third. I don't think we've got firearms at all in this book. It's, oh, okay. it's all sword play. It's uh, um, battle axes, horses, brute strength, manly men, bows and arrows. Um, and you said this was his second novel. It right? was the second book he wrote. Right after the uh, Under the Moons of Mars, right. which Under is the also known as A Princess of Mars, Princess right? Of and then the hmm. third one he wrote was Tarzan of the Apes. Wow! So, so yeah, that that's cool. I I I think that'd be terrific if you could do that Venus book. That sounds. I would love to get my yeah, hands on it because I've heard quite a bit about it, and you know, if if you've like if you've heard of something, that's usually a good sign when it's. A uh, hundred years old. Exactly. Or so. Well, yeah, this was that. I believe that was written about thirty-two. It was written okay. in the uh, early thirties. But it, it, people sort of, you know, the people who love Barsoom also seem to love that, and it seems to have sort of, you know, it's not like the lesser version. It's just the compliment. Sure, it. sure. And I, I really did enjoy uh, the first Barsoom book. Yeah, I enjoyed. It? He was not. He was. Uh, well, again, once he got past the first or second books they can get a bit formulaic but uh his his imagination factory was working at at full capacity at least for the first <laughs> one the first one or two pirates of venus is the first oh. one in that series Ooh, oh. sounds great oh. and uh lost on venus was the second one those two stick in my head those are actually kind of like uh, the first three mars books they really do have to go together because the first book on venus ends in a cliffhanger Mm. And uh, Lost on Venus is the one that picks it up. Oh, it's it's in the public domain in Australia. In Australia, uh, right. That, darn it. Yeah, a number of them are in PD in Australia, but I can't get them here. Well, I got some ideas on that. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. stuff.
remember? We wanted to talk. Oh, about sure. That. Actually, yeah. I've got a brand new one that just hit Audible within seven days ago that I am just exceedingly excited about. And it's kind of in the bailiwick of uh, SFF Audio. The name of this book is Captain James Hook and the Curse of Peter Pan. Hey. By ah. Jeremiah Kleckner and Jeremy Marshall. And the initial buzz I'm getting on reviews and from friends is this is an extraordinary piece of work. It's extraordinary writing, and I've got to say the narration is damn fine as well. Oh. This, <laughs> I wonder who does it. This book is – it. Uh, I'm getting kind of competing ideas, but some people say even a nine-year-old can enjoy it. So, But oh. it's not really a children's book. It is Hook's backstory. It is uh -huh. how – Hook became Hook, and um, in this mythos, uh, Peter Pan is not nearly as uh, beautiful, wonderful, happy, carefree as J.M. Barry. <laughs> uh, there is good reasons that Hook hates this sprite, this brat, this uh, – well, I don't want to give too much away. Uh, but it's very much Captain James Hook and the curse of Peter Pan. We've got Tinkerbell. We've got the entire Pan mythos in there. It is all handled magnificently. They give the – there's not a – there's not uh, – any threads left unresolved. It is completely true with what you know about Peter Pan from Barry, but it's an amazing, amazing piece of writing, and you wind up really rooting for, for Hook. It is set in a very realistic Caribbean. They did their research about the pirates, so we run into Blackbeard, Long John Silver, uh, Jesse Labette, a whole bunch of actual historical pirates who operated in the Caribbean, and... Um, Everything is in Port Royal. I never really read the J.M. Barry, but I'm assuming that that is actually where the Darling family was based. Or maybe, mm -hmm. no, maybe not. Uh, as I, I'm not sure. It is set in the Caribbean, and I'm not sure if Barry set him in London or not. But uh, the Darlings are in uh, the Caribbean. Um, uh, Hook can't, comes from the Caribbean. He starts out as uh, uh, the son of a, of a British sea captain. He's a very good student, very bright and intelligent. He's going to go to Eton, and I believe that in Barry, uh, Hook had gone to Eton, but uh, there are divergences from, from the, the Barry mythos, but I'm very excited about that book. So go to Audible and check it out, Captain James Hook and the Curse of Peter Pan. Nice. Who's the author again? Jeremiah Kleckner and Jeremy Marshall.